You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton, and you're listening to Out of the Box, the marketing podcast exploring out-of-the-box approaches to marketing and growth. Today, I'm joined by Dave Edwards, SVP Revenue at AudioMac, a FastCo most innovative company in 2021. Dave, welcome. Hey, Jess. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. A pleasure. A pleasure. So AudioMac, from what I understand, is an artist-first music streaming platform that allows creators to share unlimited music and podcast content for free. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what AudioMac does before we get into who you are and, and what your history is. Yeah, sure. So AudioMac is really the only free platform for artists, um, at least at scale, to share their music um, you know, without limits. So when we look at other, uh, other hosting platforms for musicians, typically they will charge you know, a premium fee every month um, once you get over a certain amount of, of you know, music on the platform, which tends to be pretty small. And AudioMac was and still really is the first platform, first music platform to offer artists unlimited free storage. Um, along with a lot of the things that they would get on other platforms like advanced stats and private links, uh, you know, different ways to engage with their fan base and things like that. So, you know, we are, I I think, an easy way to understand how we operate is when you look at the music business, there's kind of two groups of apps that you can broadly place everyone into. Um, The first one would be, you know, Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music and kind of that whole cohort of full catalog services. And what a lot of people don't realize about those apps and those platforms is artists do not upload directly to those platforms. You go through a distribution company, you go through a label to get your music uh, on those platforms. And then you have AudioMac, you have SoundCloud, and to some extent you have YouTube, which you know we think of as a video platform, but is a very big destination for music fans as well. And we call those direct to fan because in addition to working with the major labels and major distribution companies, we also all allow artists to upload their music directly and connect with their fans directly. Very cool. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how you came into this business. From what I understand, you're a music producer yourself, right? I am and I, I was, yes. Yeah. So before I joined AudioMac, uh, I was a full-time producer. I was in the you know electronic and house and pop space. I did some big remixes back in like the, the middle and early 2010s. Um, had some success with original tracks too. released music on every major label here in the States and, you know, really made a career of that for a little bit. Um, and then I met the founder of Audi Mac, Dave Mackley uh, in 2013 and pretty shortly thereafter started working with the company first as a consultant. And then as one of our first full-time employees, as the company started to grow and it's really just grown from there. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny, I was talking to someone else about this recently and, and they asked a similar question and I just said, you know, if, if you asked me six or seven years ago, um, I would not have predicted I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. But uh, it's been a really amazing journey. It's I've been very fortunate to work at a company like AudioMac that has seen some pretty amazing growth, uh, work with such a great team. And uh, yeah, so I, it, it wasn't necessarily intentional, um, but loving working in the music tech business, loving just being more on the tech side of things in general. And, um, you know, I still produce a bit of my free time, but that's definitely kind of a uh, t- taking a backseat to my proper career at this point. Uh, it's pretty cool when you can sort of marry that that passion with tech 
it's uh, it's really a a great intersection and can can move move us into the future. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, and I think we may jump into this soon, but I, you know, I've learned so much working on the tech side of the business, whether that's just you know music tech in general or kind of tech at large. Um, you know, as part of transitioning to this job, I really had to learn so much about the entire tech industry and who the main players are and, you know, where things are going. Um, and it's, it's been really valuable for me personally to do that because I think as an artist, you often don't pay attention to those things. And yet as an artist, all of the platforms where you're uploading your music to, um, and really just the industry that you are existing in are defined at this point by tech giants. So I think a lot of artists kind of don't have a full understanding of, of where a lot of kind of meta tech trends are going. And I think that learning so much more about the tech industry um, has really been valuable for me. And, and I think is, is helpful to any artist who wants to kind of get a sense of where things are going. So I think you bring up a really super interesting point because from what I understand, at least, and I'm by no means an expert in the music industry, but from what I understand, the wealth and popularity of most musicians is rarely driven by their music, right? If we look at uh, 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 other celebrities or we look at other sort of, you know, uh, more popular uh, uh, types of people like uh, athletes, for example, uh, who are much more well known for their actual production. Uh, if we take artists, that's that's quite different, right? So how do you guys work to educate artists in that sphere? How do how does AudioMac really drive that agenda within the the artists sphere, the music sphere? Yeah, it's a major priority for us. Um, so I, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, first off, I think on our social channels, we really spend a lot of energy and time uh, trying to educate artists. In addition to just you know doing things like promoting new releases and kind of the standard stuff you would see there. So we, you know, especially during COVID, you know, we had to transition a lot of our, you know, IRL stuff to, to virtual events. And so we started doing things like virtual panels with artists and managers and A&Rs and label heads, you know, just people who can really educate people in the industry, credible people, because I think, and, and this is unfortunately kind of a constant theme you see in music is... Uh, sometimes you see less credible people, I'll put it that way, try to, you know, kind of educate artists and often try to build a business around that. So, you know, aligning with what we do, you know, offering artists a free platform, we want to make sure that we're not only providing access to the head of a major label or a huge manager who's been immensely successful with multiple artists, but we want to make sure that that information is out there for free. We're not putting that behind a paywall or trying to build a business around serving that to artists. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is we are really the only uh, streaming platform in music that has an in-house editorial platform built in. So AudioMac World is our editorial platform. Uh, it really features some of the best writers in music. Uh, you know, we like to think of it as almost like a in-house pitchfork. And, you know, they interview artists, they interview, again, managers, you know, kind of movers and shakers in the music business and beyond really to help educate artists about best practices, how to promote your music, how to find a label, you know, what is music publishing, all of these things that are, I think, if you're an artist, often very difficult to understand because to be frank, the music business is kind of predicated still upon, um, you know, a lot of gatekeepers and just a, a lot of unique business structures that you do not find in other verticals, I think it's fair to say. So we try to educate artists on all of these topics. And again, always do it for free you know, not building a business specifically around that because we feel if we can provide value to artists in that sense, they will, you know, use AudioMac more, upload more music, bring more fans to the platform. 
Well, certainly, I mean, as a content strategy, that seems to be, seems to me to make perfect sense, right? You guys are adding so much value there and really giving a sort of educational base, not only on how to use the platform or, or how to distribute via Automac, but also how to make your way in the world of music, right? And that's, that's really, really impactful. Exactly. Yeah, that's always our goal. So then if we do tie this into the fact that at the end of the day, AudioMac is a business, right? How, do, how does AudioMac or how does any of, of this type of, uh, of, of free-to-play app grow your, grow your own revenue uh, while at the same time helping creators grow theirs? Yeah, sure. So I think the way that we've always looked at this business and this, you know, to get full credit here was really the vision of Dave Mackley, our CEO and co-founder, along with uh, Dave Ponte. We have quite a few Daves here for a small company um, who is our CMO and another main co-founder. You know, I think their strategy from the beginning was when you look at the music business, you essentially have two cohorts of users. Uh, one of those are the creators, right, which is a smaller pool of people right now. When we look at a platform like Spotify, which is the largest music platform in the world, uh, they have about eight to nine million uploaders or creators on their platform. It's not exactly clear how many of those are musicians versus maybe you know podcasters, but let's just call it seven to eight million. Um, and then you think about the listenership, right? The the fans who are going to listen to the output of those creators, which is a much much larger audience. Um, so again, just to use Spotify as an example, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to eight million artists. And they have close to 400 million monthly active users. So those are listeners, right? So when we looked at the industry, when our founders looked at the, at the industry in you know, 2012, before AudioMac came into existence, what they saw was most of the platforms that existed at the time were really focused on monetizing the creator. They were charging them to upload. They were charging them to promote their music, a lot of things like that. And it just struck our founders as odd because when you look at the actual hard costs of what goes into that business, such as you know storage and bandwidth, those things have become very commoditized. They're very cheap compared to where they were, not just in 2008, but you know just about any time in, in history, right? Mm -hmm. So there really isn't, in, in our mind, much of a justification for charging artists to host their music, um, at least anymore. And so you know the the idea with AudioMac from day one has always been give everything to creators to empower them, to help them grow their fan bases, grow their revenue, grow their careers. We started monetizing on a per stream basis for our creators, uh, I believe quicker than any other music platform has in their kind of corporate history, if that makes sense. And so we've always been very focused on driving value for the artists. And we've always been very focused on monetizing the listeners, kind of the, you know, the long tail or that larger audience because again, if you're thinking about building a business, you know, who would you rather be your, your customer base, you know, seven or eight million creators or 400, 500, 600 million listeners. So the, right. the latter has always been our focus, whether that's advertising, our premium tier, um, letting listeners donate directly to artists with our new supporters feature, things like that. So, you know, for us, whether it's on the revenue front or just a general kind of how do we grow the business front? We've always looked to serve our creators first. And, you know, we always like to say that artists are really the best UA tools in existence, um, at least within the music business, because one artist, a singular artist may bring in five or 10 million fans if they start using your platform. And um, that is that type of kind of asymmetric relationship doesn't exist 
with many other verticals and many other types of you know creators. I think you do see it perhaps in like the influencer space and maybe big video creators on YouTube. But you know, within music, we, we have always looked at artists as really the key to UA and growing and scaling the platform. And so ultimately, you know, we always have to serve listeners as well, of course, and we put a lot of time into the product to make sure they're happy. But our primary focus is always going to be the creator and the artist. Got it. So when we're talking really about sort of, you know, you have a, a, a you could say a two-pronged user acquisition strategy, right? On the one hand, I'm sure that you're actually looking at marketing the app itself and the, uh, and the service itself to the listeners, the users, uh, however you want to call them. But then on the other side, you're then working hard to get those big name uh, uh, artists that are going to be able to bring that asymmetric uh, impact when they're bringing X million uh, uh, number of listeners. Yeah. And one thing I would also clarify, which is really kind of central to AudioMac is I, I think, you know, if, if a listener is trying to understand, you know, again, kind of like, why does AudioMac exist? There's so many music platforms out there. One of the value props that we offer to both of those kind of cohorts is that we're actually very focused on emerging talent over superstar talent. That's not to say we don't have superstars on the platform. We do. But, you know, when we, again, when we look at the music space, um, our focus has never been to have every song in the world. Uh, we are not, we don't have Bruce Springsteen's back catalog. We don't have, you know, the Beatles. Um, we are, I, I'll just be transparent. We are not the music app to come to if you want to listen to stuff from the 60s or 70s. Not that we don't respect and love that music. It's just that terrain is very well covered by Spotify and others. We really focus, I'd say 95% of our energy on helping the next generation of superstars. So when I say that, what I mean is people who are starting to gain some traction, they're you know, likely still recording in their bedroom or just getting their first you know, distribution deal, getting their first press coverage and helping them scale to the point where in six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, they're number one on Spotify. They're number one on the billboard charts. And that's a huge part of our value prop on the listener side as well is, you know, we have a very young audience we're 93% under 34. And when you talk about, you know, Gen Z, especially and what they're into, they want to be the first to find something new that like that, that is a major motivator of Gen Z behaviors. They want to be the first person in their group chat uh, to find the next Drake, the next Roddy Rich, the next weekend, the next superstar artist. And so a major, major, I think the main value prop that we offer listeners is exactly that, is that if you come to AudioMac, and especially if you're interested in hip hop, Latin and Afrobeats, um, we are going to be the best place to find emerging talent in those genres well before it's on other platforms. So I, I you know, I just, I'm basically trying to say that we love superstar artists. We certainly feature them on the platform. But I do think it's a, a big difference with us where if you open, you know, Spotify's New Music Friday, that's very focused on just the biggest artists in the world, right? It is, it is just a stage for whoever has already been number one on Billboard for the most part. Whereas when you open AudioMac in our trending section, it's very different. You might see a superstar here and there, but much, much uh, higher concentration of emerging talent and, and new talent. I, I love what you just said there because you really went back to sort of, you know, back to basics on on marketing, right? You're talking about picking your niche, knowing what your USP is, understanding your target audience, and really tailoring your message to that audience specifically and tailoring your product to that audience, really knowing what you're going after. It sounds like you guys are hyper-focused. You guys know exactly who you want, not only on the artist side, but also on the listener side. And I can imagine that really gives you an edge 
in terms of not only developing the platform, but also knowing how to market, getting out there, doing your UA, doing your content marketing and all that stuff. As, when you've got that laser focus, you can really hone in and, and, and create a much better marketing output. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's been something that's been necessary for us really since our inception. I mean, when you think about the music vertical, we are up against, you know, the best funded companies in the world, right? We're up against Apple, who has last I looked uh, $202 billion in cash on hand. We're up against Google. We're up against Spotify, a $50 billion public company. I, I mean, I can just go on, right? Pandora, just these huge companies. So when we were starting the company, I think we, you know, we realized pretty quickly that if we were going to try to compete with exactly the same product as all of those other products, that probably wouldn't work out so well for us, right? At least at the beginning. I mean, we, you know, being uh, bootstrapped with a few thousand dollars in, in founder equity, I mean, it would be very hard for us to compete, you know, back in 2013 against those platforms kind of on their turf. So it was always very important to us to carve out our own lane and a unique way to offer value to artists and listeners. Very cool. I want to talk a little bit about about those artists. I, I, I do want to touch on growth. Um, I always try to get some uh, some hard insights uh, from these conversations that that UA managers, marketing managers can take home and apply themselves. And in a couple of minutes, I'd like to get to that. But I do want to come back because I'm interested to hear a little bit more about musicians and creators and how much they really understand what the technological advancements have been in the last couple of years, how they can leverage them. Can you talk to me a little bit about whether the gap exists and, and if it does, then how you see it between how much music creators really know about apps and technology and where the technology is today? Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting topic to me personally. It's something that I, you know, I started a, a newsletter last year on the music industry and, and tech in general. And this is something I, I talk, this is really why I started writing, um, was because I, I see this enormous knowledge gap. Um, and, and I want to be very clear when I say this, and I'm not, you know, if I say that I feel like a lot of artists that I, I speak with don't necessarily understand tech outside of music tech all that well. Um, that's in no way I put down because I was in the same boat when I was a full-time artist. If you are making music, it is such an all-encompassing career. Um, it, it's very hard to kind of have mental bandwidth for just about anything else. And I, I think if you're trying to make music at a very high level, it, it occupies about 99.9% .9 of your your brain power uh, while, while you're doing it and you know, pretty much across the board. So you know, it's, it's definitely not a, a critique, but yeah, to, to be transparent, I mean, when I talk to artists, um, you know, in general, there's always exceptions, but yeah, I think there's an enormous, enormous knowledge gap around kind of where tech in general is going, where the massive platforms, whether it's Apple's app store or Amazon and, and, you know, the, the Spotify, you know, the kind of meta trends that are shaping not just consumer tech, but the industry that if you are an artist, you are, competing in or whatever word you want to use for that. I mean, the industry where artists are trying to make a living in 2022 today is night and day difference than it was uh, different than even 2018, much less 2015, much less 2010. I mean, th there is just such rapid change, which is of course accelerating like you're seeing everywhere else in technology. Uh, the, the rate of change is, is becoming more rapid. And so I think, yeah, if you are an artist or any kind of content creator, and you are solely focused on your art and you don't have a broader understanding of the ways in which music is changing, technology is changing, consumer consumption is changing. So a great example of this, just like a very kind of 
broad example is the rise of TikTok, right? So TikTok has reached 1 billion, I believe, monthly actives faster than any other app in history in about half the time that Instagram did uh, under four years. And when you look at, you know, so so that is kind of a meta technology trend. There's so many things we could dive into there, right? Like the, the short form content, video content, the layering in of music, all these trends that TikTok has wrought. And there, I, I don't think there's been a single industry or vertical more impacted by TikTok actually than the music business. If you look at where a lot of new viral songs come from, they come from TikTok. Um, you know, you need to look no further than the Fleetwood Mac video that went viral. I'm not sure if it was last year or 2020. Everything kind of blends together um, at this point. But, you know, sometime in the last two years, I mean, this was a 40-year-old record that basically nobody under 30, unless they were kind of a pretty deep music person knew about, right? I mean, I, I love Fleetwood Mac, but the average 18-year-old had no idea who they were. For sure. And all of a sudden, it went back to the top of Billboard. I mean, just totally crazy. So point being, um, whether it's TikTok or 100 other trends that you're seeing across tech, I think if you don't see those coming, you are you are going to be disadvantaged as a creator. Um, so that's something that I'm personally very vocal about. You know, I write a lot on Twitter and in my newsletter just about these kind of larger trends that creators need to be aware of uh, because otherwise it's, it's like any other business. I mean, it's like um, if you're a accountant and you don't know the latest tax law, that's going to really impair your ability to do your job well. Right. It's the same with being an artist. If you don't understand what's going on in tech, you're going to be disadvantaged to, you know, people who do and artists who do. Now I'm sure that, you know, in the music industry, which is, which is in your wheelhouse, you know, obviously, I think you've you've pretty well hit the nail on the head in terms of the gap, and, and and that's clear to me. I'm guessing that this exists also in a whole bunch of other places where we're now seeing that creator con- economy come to play, whether it's you know fitness instructors, yoga teachers, storytellers, all these creators that now have the ability to reach their their consumer base or their user base or, or however you want to call it. Yeah. And I imagine that these same gaps exist for the most part. So you talked a little bit about Twitter. You talked about your newsletter. Can you unpack a little bit more about what it is that you do specifically to keep your your user base, I guess, or your marketing base up to speed on the changes that are happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I just really try to read and learn as much as I can and and share those learnings constantly. So, you know, I think what's been really interesting for me about my kind of personal career path is, you know, if you spoke to me six or seven years ago or 10 years ago, you know, kind of like I was just describing a moment ago, I was 99.99% focused on music and making music and how to do that at a higher level every day. And I just didn't have much bandwidth for anything else. And what was really interesting, what's been really interesting over the past few years is I would have never thought at the time that I could be as interested in something outside of music as I was you know, in music at that time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But what I found transitioning to the tech industry over the past few years is that I'm actually even more interested in just not just music tech, but just tech in general. Um, and so, you know, I, I think part of what I try to offer to people who follow me on Twitter or follow my newsletter, I'm actually starting a kind of separate part of the newsletter, just focus on the tech business this week is not just insights on music, but insights on, again, kind of these very broad trends that are really impacting whether you are a music creator, a podcaster, 
um, someone who does cooking on YouTube. I mean, like literally what, whatever you might do or, or someone who is not in the creator economy at all. Someone who's a lawyer, a, a you know, investment banker, someone who's just um, totally outside the tech business. Because one of the really interesting things that I've seen as I've moved into the tech business is when I start discussing some of these things, when I'm you know, out with friends who are not working in tech, like you and I, there's, there's a very large disconnect. And I think that yeah. outside of maybe the main headlines that people hear around, you know, the Facebook whistleblower, right? Like those, those enormous news stories that kind of break through, there's just, there's very little understanding of a lot of these changes that are happening. And again, you know, I think what's really interesting about the tech business is that, you know, there's a saying that every company is a tech company now, some just don't know it yet. And I think that to extend that, I think we are all living, we're all working in the tech business now. A lot of us just don't know it yet. I think that whatever you do for a living, whether you are a marketer, a lawyer, a taxi driver, literally whatever you do, you're present. And especially I think the next you know, 10, 20 years of your life are going to be so impacted by various technological advancements and changes that if you don't understand those things, again, kind of like I was saying about music, you're, you're always going to be one step behind, right? You want to be as prepared as possible. So yeah, that is what I try to speak to, uh, whether it's on a podcast or whether it's, you know, in my writing is just trying to bridge that knowledge gap and do it in a way that is very accessible. Um, one of the things I think like kind of an obvious question people might have as well, you know, why does there need to be another Substack? There's already a million. I can go read the New York times or whatever it might be. And don't get me wrong. There, there are so many amazing writers and news outlets out there. But one of the things that I just personally found when I was making this transition from music into the tech business is you have an incredible number of tech publications that do great work, but they, they assume a certain level of baseline knowledge of their reader. Like they're really written for people in tech, which of course makes sense. That's their business. And I love reading them. And then, you know, on, on the other side, you have like the mainstream press outlets. And I, I definitely wouldn't say that all of their coverage uh, is, is off base. But very often when I read stuff about tech in the mainstream press, it just lacks some like context that would really help people understand it in kind of a, a broader context. Um, and so, you know, again, what I try to do is just to bridge that gap where I talk about a lot of the kind of more advanced stuff that you might get in a tech only newsletter but I'm explaining it or trying to explain it in a way that is totally approachable. Even if you have no, you know, if you've never used an app in your life and you have no idea how to code and don't know anything about what's going on in tech, I want to explain it in a way where everyone can understand it. Very, very cool. Definitely something that, uh, you know, I think that we can all take as uh, as a good marketing lesson, understanding, you know, the level of, uh, of understanding that, that your readers, that your audience has, and then really, coming to that level, giving them a good on-ramp to whatever it is you're looking to explain. I want to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about growth because Audio Mac was downloaded more than 10 million times in less than six months, which is astounding. So I wanted to, 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 to hear a little bit about what your strategy was and what the biggest growth learnings that, that you had uh, uh, throughout that growth. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, up until recently, I think all time, you know, since we launched our apps in, I want to say it was 2016, I'd have to double check. Um, I believe we're, we're closing in on around 75 million downloads um, across Android and iOS. And we've been very fortunate that really until the past six months or so, when we brought on our first head of full-time head of UA, we had people handling it internally before, of course, but it was kind of 
alongside other responsibilities. And as you know, UA is, is definitely a, a job unto itself. For sure. So we really just are starting to staff up in that area. Um, it's really mostly been organic. I mean, you know, we've advertised on the app stores for a while, but again, we can't match the marketing budgets of a Spotify or an Apple Music. So we've always had to figure out how to compete and drive growth kind of with asymmetric uh, you know, means. So one of the main vehicles to do that, I, I mean, the main one that we talked about uh, previously was artists, right? So again, just, you know, providing value for artists, because one of the things I, I failed to mention earlier is artists, a single artist may not just bring on their 5 million fans. They tend to also, especially when it's a larger artist or even an a artist who's just kind of blowing up, right? Someone who's just coming up now, they are also being watched by all of the artists who are kind of in their lane, right? So a great example is, I mean, just to take like the most obvious one, let's take Drake in hip hop, right? If you are a rapper, you are always watching what Drake is doing and anything new that he's doing, any new platform he goes to, any new social media tactic he's trying, you're going to note it. You're going to try to learn from it. You're probably going to try to copy it or at least adapt it to your style. And so one of the things that you see with artists is it's not just that one artist can bring in their 5 million fans. They can also bring in a ton of creators who are kind of in their space because they want to be like them. And I think you see this in adjacent verticals. If Mr. Beast, who's you know a massive, massive YouTuber, were to, let's just say, jump over to a new video platform, I'm pretty sure you would see hundreds of thousands or at least many video creators you know, follow ship, right? They would at least give it a try. So that's that's a, been a major growth uh, driver on our end. I think the other main organic one has really been uh, content. So we have a really, really strong in-house content team. And when I say content, I mostly mean video content. We are starting podcasts and other things like that now. And we, of course, have Audio Map World, which is editorial. But when we look at what has historically made the most impact for us, it's been video content, which is actually hosted on YouTube. We, we are going to bring it more into our app this year and beyond. But we've always, you know, we've, we've never looked at YouTube as like a competitor. We've always said we should grow the audience there as well. That's a top of funnel channel for people who love, you know, artists and music and they will, you know, come into our app eventually. So we, you know, Audio Mac, the last I looked, has more video streams on YouTube than every other music streaming app combined. So Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud. Um, and again, we're very proud of that because we certainly do not have the largest content team or, or budget. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, it's a testament to our content team. And it ties back to something you mentioned earlier, which is, again, understanding your user base. We, we know how to take our data and the artists that we work with directly, we, we have our finger on the pulse of who fans are really engaging with, and we make content with them. Um, we make good content with them. And that has been a, a huge driver of our growth. Uh, one particular series that I would mention is called Trap Symphony. Um, definitely worth checking out if you're up for a fun watch on YouTube. But we basically pair a major artist with a classical orchestra. And so you get this interesting, unexpected mashup of typically hip hop, but it can also be other genres with an orchestra. And it's, you know, the, the way that I like to phrase it when I describe it to people is it's just weird enough where it will be uh, thumb stopping, right? So when we think about someone just scrolling through Twitter and Instagram or their YouTube feed, and there's this, this you know, massive content hitting them every day, how do you stand out in that crowd? 
Well, if you pair Chief Keef, who's you know a very famous hip hop artist with a classical orchestra, it's like it's just strange enough that someone's like, what? Like, what? What does that even look like? They press play, and then the content is great, so they keep watching and they watch more. So that's always been a huge part of our strategy. Uh, Trap Symphony alone has racked up over 200 million views on YouTube and and more on social. So again, every one of those views is just another chance for someone. We obviously have our logo at the start of the video. We have a you know kind of end card with you know, download Audio Mac the app for more music. Uh, that's a UA channel for us, and we we've seen um, to be frank, at, at least until now, much better results with that than. Again, trying to compete in these same paid channels uh, where, you know, a Spotify or an Apple realistically can, can outbid us. Um, so I think we're seeing that change going forward. We, we are invest, investing heavily in UA now, but historically, you know, what's really powered that growth in general uh, has actually just been a lot of word of mouth. And I think something that you've probably seen with larger publishers that you work with is it does become... I'm not sure what, what the correct way to put it would be kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, for example, once you're in the top 10 chart on the app store for your category, that just drives more downloads, right? People just see you more and it, it turns into this, you know, kind of uh, cycle. So we were fortunate fairly early on to kind of get into a high enough ranking where that also helped our growth and we could do additional marketing around that. Very cool. I love that framework of just weird enough to be thumb stopping, but not so weird that you keep scrolling. I think that's a great uh, a great way to put it. And I'll definitely be checking out uh, the Trap Symphony series. Dave, this has been a super, super interesting conversation. You know, we've covered gaps between tech and music. We've covered how Audio Mac serves that, how you serve that personally. We've really had a, a very interesting and pretty long ranging conversation. I'd like to ask you, as I ask all of my guests, what is the most out-of-the-box or innovative marketing campaign that you've seen or been a part of of late? Sure. So I would I would mention two things. I mean, I think the more recent one was Coinbase's Super Bowl ad. I know that people in marketing kind of had different takes on that. You know, the website crashed. I actually kind of suspect that was intentional, that what a great way to earn even more free press where you say whoa, this app is so popular, they can't even handle all the demand, right? So I don't know that for a fact, but I, I kind of suspect that they weren't mad their servers went down. Um, just such a great ad. I mean, you know, what's, what's funny about that ad is I actually recall an ad, and I can't remember, I want to say it was this company called Buy.com. I think they were an Amazon competitor in the late 90s before the dot-com bust. But I'm pretty sure that they had a Super Bowl ad that was actually quite similar. Obviously QR codes were not a thing then, but I just remember them having an ad that was, it was like 30 seconds of silence and just their logo. And there was like a guy that came on in the voiceover at the very end that was just like, we know you're getting too much in your commercial breaks. So we just thought we'd give you 30 seconds of kind of like relaxing vibes. And I still remember that ad 20 some odd years later. Um, and so Coinbase's ad, even though it was a little bit different, it was actually quite similar, right? It was this very understated, literally just a QR code bouncing around. And I think that, you know, again, it's that kind of, it's, it's taking a different approach than everyone else, right? Everyone else's Super Bowl ads are paying some massive celebrity $10 million and, you know, they're like riding around on a horse or doing something crazy. Like it's just this like overproduced spectacle. And of course that's fun. But when you're thinking about, okay, you're a challenger brand, how do you break through that noise and not just be one of a hundred of those ads? 
you do something like Coinbase. You, you literally like upend the entire norm of what you're expected to do with a, I think it was a $7 million, you know, ad buy. So I, I love that more recently. I think um, on a larger level, you know, we recently brought on McDonald's as a client um, through our direct sales team. And, you know, I think as a brand, the stuff that they've been doing in music over the past maybe 18 months, first with Travis Scott and later with other artists um, has just been incredible. And I think that, you know, they really more than any other brand have their finger on the pulse of, you know, what artists are driving, again, that Gen Z demographic, that Gen Z engagement, and coming up with pretty unique ad campaigns. Uh, You know, there's been multiple stories with multiple artists that they've worked with where they will like build a custom menu item or meal and literally it like breaks the supply chain and sells so well, like they run out of fries or they run out of, you know, burgers. Um, so that's a pretty good problem to have if you're a marketer, right? Like if you're breaking your supply chain, you, <laughs> you did your job and then some. So I think that, uh, you know, McDonald's as a brand has just been doing very, very innovative stuff. And that's a big part of it. We have not advised them. I want to be clear, but what, when we work with other brands, um, on a direct basis, a big part of what we try to do is just help them understand the music space, understand what artists to work with, who has real engagement versus just a large social following. And I think, you know, if we are kind of trying to give some wisdom on on the marketing side, I think that whether you want to operate in the music business with influencers, anything touching kind of independent creators, that's always something you have to really watch out for. Something that we see in music, um, especially is that, you know, very often it is not the artist who has 50 million followers who is the best partnership partner. Um, very often, especially if you're trying to reach that Gen Z demo, it's actually someone who might have 50,000 or 150,000. And their fan base, even though it technically looks smaller, is just so rapidly engaged with everything they do uh, that you will get much more value out of it. And you're typically backing a creator who really kind of needs that support, right? They're, they're earlier in their career. Um, they may be more affordable to work with and just a lot of things that are actually beneficial to you as a partner as well. Um, so that that's something that I, I think a lot of brands could learn from is just really trying to understand the market they're operating in and not getting too caught up on those high level social numbers like followers and, and really trying to understand who is going to drive the most engagement. Really important message, Dave. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a really, really interesting conversation with a lot of concrete takeaways. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Jess. Thanks for having me.